We're going to turn to God's Word now. We're uh, coming into Advent uh, and into the Christmas season, uh, and you'll see um, where we're going to be reading from Nehemiah, and just a couple of verses from Nehemiah. You might think it's a bit of a strange place to to start uh, Advent, but we're going to start here, and hopefully it will become clear why we're starting with these verses. A couple of verses reading from Nehemiah chapter 9 from verse 5b. And it's after the Israelites have returned to Jerusalem and they've rebuilt uh, the the walls of the city uh, where it was believed God's presence was and they've started to worship Him. And as they gather to worship Him, the the Levites who are leading the worship, they say this, they lead them in this call to worship. We had a call to worship this morning and these guys led them in this great call to worship of all the Israelite people. And it says, they said, blessed be your glorious name. And may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host. The earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to everything. And the multitudes of heaven worship you. Let's pray for a moment as we come to God's Word. Father God, we thank You for Your presence with us now by the power of Your Holy Spirit. We thank You that You come, You inhabit the praises of Your people as we worship You. We thank You that You're present with us, speaking to us from Your living Word. So Lord, please give us an encounter with You this morning. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see You hearts to respond to you. For we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, on this first Sunday of Advent, we uh, go into our new series and uh, through December, running up to Christmas and uh, celebrating the Lord's coming. But as we, as we go through Advent, we of course celebrate the Lord's first coming. And we wait on His second coming. Because as sure as he came the first time, he's coming again. And we must keep our eyes peeled for his second coming. But also, we, we want to encounter him by, as he comes to us by his spirit, by his word, and in the people that we meet throughout this Christmas season. We want to be looking out for Jesus and others this Christmas. And in the words of the famous Cliff Richard song, Christmas is a time for giving, a time for getting, a time for forgiving, and for forgetting. And you know, what can so, in what can so often be a very unforgiving and mean old world out there, I guess the spirit of generosity is often more abroad at this time. And that will be our theme for Advent, Generosity generosity. And we will start this morning by looking at the generosity of our God. And as we look at God's great generosity towards us and how we might reflect better that generosity into the world and live out generous lives as we seek to live for Him. So this morning, we want to be informed of or reminded of the generosity of God, that generosity is the very heart of of our God. You see, I don't know what picture you have of God or of His generosity that you have in mind this morning, 
But whatever it is, I am confident of this, that it's far too small. As I have traced the story of God's generosity through the Scriptures over these past couple of weeks preparing for this morning, from Genesis to Revelation, I am confident of one thing, that our picture of God's generosity is far too small. You see, we're human beings, and we often, well, we're tempted to think of things that are human-sized, aren't we? And we reduce God and His generosity down to our size so that we can try to get a handle on it. But if we think that we've got a handle on God's generosity, we are like the goldfish in the six-inch goldfish bowl, thinking that it understands life, the universe, and everything. You see, God's bigness, His bigness of heart, His generosity, is just beyond our imagining. It's beyond our measuring. It's immeasurable. And it's mind-blowing. So firstly, we see God's generation in creation. His, his generosity in creation. You see, when God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were creating, they could have created one planet. Let's create one planet to show our oneness. Or they could have created three planets to show a little bit of diversity and unity that is within the community of the Trinity. But do you know how many planets are in the Milky Way? Well, you don't because nobody does. But here's the thing, NASA, the North American Space Agency, the experts, okay. The experts, they say that there are between 100 and 400 billion planets in the Milky Way. So God didn't create one planet to show His oneness. He didn't create three planets to show the unity and diversity. He created over a hundred billion to show His generosity. Over a hundred billion planets to start to show His generosity. Why else? And so don't miss this. Go out on a clear night and look up into the sky and start to catch a little glimpse. Just a little glimpse of a generosity that goes on and on and on and on. Immeasurably. And then when we focus on that one planet Earth that we live on, and we see the dazzling array and variety of mountains and valleys and plains, of deserts and jungles and ice caps, of beaches and oceans and rivers, and that's not even counting that or looking at, at, at how the seas and uh, of how all the animals, the creatures, the animals, the plants that live on them and in them and under them. You see, when God was starting to populate the seas, He could have said, let's make fish. One variety. Why not one variety? But did God make one variety of fish? No. He didn't, according to the National Geographic. There are over 32,000 species of fish in our seas, including 
some of these lovely little tropical jobbies here. 32,000 varieties of fish. Wow! Doesn't reflect a mean old God to me, does it? It reflects a God who's generous, who's beautiful, who's creative, who's gracious. Or let's look at birds. Let's create some birds to fill the sky. Yeah, what's wrong with one variety? Uh uh. Over 18,000 species of birds flying in our skies, 18,000 wild species of birds, including these little rainbow bee eaters. Don't they, even two of them, just speak of a generosity of God? And there's over 18,000 species of birds reflecting the heart of our generous God into our world. It's the same with our food. The earth is filled with, with food of every flavor. Richness provides us with a multitude of colors, of textures, of flavors, of, of smells, a feast to delight our eyes, our nose, our taste buds. The variety. You see, friends, we live in a world that is absolutely bursting with variety and beauty and diversity. Why? Because we live in a world created by a generous God. God is generous in creation. And we see that generosity as it is the heart of the Father, it is the heart of the Son, it is the heart of the Holy Spirit, for we see the generosity of the Godhead at work in creation. We see the generosity of the Father, Genesis 1, 1, at the very start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see the generosity of the Holy Spirit, Genesis 1, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You see, God the Father created. God the Spirit hovered and then sprang into action, shaping and filling, giving light and giving life. And we see the generosity of the Son. Paul writes in Colossians, he writes in chapter 1, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. All things have been created through him. So we see the generosity of the Father who created, the Holy Spirit who gave life, and the Son through whom all things were made. And God is generous in creation for two reasons, I believe. Firstly, it is to have that whole wonderfully diverse, beautiful creation worship him. For St. John writes in Revelation 5, he says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. God is generous in his creation to have that creation worship him. But God is also generous in his creation to bless us, to bless you and me. In 1 Timothy 6, St. Paul writes, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be, to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see, the Lord has generously created and generously provides for us from his creation. The Bible and the history of the church are full of stories of God's generous provision. Genesis 22, God provided the ram for the sacrifice in place of Isaac. 
And Abraham called the place Jehovah Jireh, which in Hebrew means the Lord provides. For that is what he does. And we see this great generosity of God in the ministry of Jesus during his time, his earthly ministry here on earth. A couple of examples when Jesus was at the wedding at Cana, you remember? When he turned that water into wine, did he make just about enough that tasted just about okay? Well, not according to John chapter 2. It tells us there that there were gallons of the stuff, and John includes the details to let us know that Jesus made a lot, and it was exquisite. He tells us there were six stone water jars there, each holding between 20 and 30 gallons. And Jesus wants to make sure they're absolutely full. So in verse 7 of chapter 2 of John's gospel, he instructs the servants to fill them up to the brim. And then in verse 8, he tells them, now go draw some out of it and take it to the master of the banquet. And the people were amazed. And the master of the banquet exclaimed, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine when the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And you see how much of this exquisite wine did Jesus make? Six stone jars with 20 to 30 gallons of wine in them. That's somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons. You see, this is not one or two bottles of wine so that everybody can have a wee thimbleful each. Some sort of symbolic <coughs> act. No, this is hundreds of bottles. Hundreds of bottles. Every bottle representing God's generosity. And when he fed the 5,000, did he ration the food? No, he graciously provided for everyone there to eat their fill, and there were baskets left over. Every piece representing the extravagant generosity of our God. And you know, we could all write Jehovah Jireh over our lives, I reckon, couldn't we? For when we even think about it for just a moment, haven't we all been blessed by God's generous provision in our own lives in many different ways? Our God is generous in provision. Let me share just one story from my own experience. If, uh, I was involved a few years ago, I was involved with uh, some voluntary work in, a, in, an, in an orphanage in North Africa, and I was there in the the January of that particular year, and I really felt God was calling me back to come back for three months in March. Now, I knew I could get off from the job that I was working at at the time, but the money was the problem. And since I was there for a month, I knew how much I would need to stay there to come and work there for three months. But I only had one month back home, and I said, okay, Lord, I know how much it's gonna cost, how much I'm gonna need. If you can provide that in the one month that I have back home, I'll come. And you know, I came back home in the February and I told a few people, and whenever I was going away again at the beginning of March, the Lord had provided exactly what I needed twice over. Twice over. The Lord provided what I, what I needed to work there during that time, and I was also able to leave the same amount again with the orphanage to help them in their work with the children. The Lord is generous 
in creation and in provision, in the physical realm. But look, he is ultimately most outrageously generous in the spiritual realm. For secondly, we see that God is generous. We see God's generosity in salvation. When God created the heavens and the earth and placed mankind in the garden to work it and to take care of it, he walked with us and we had this beautiful intimate relationship with him. But then we got too big for our boots. We rebelled against him. The relationship was broken. We were put out of the garden. Sin and death entered our world. And we were bound for a life without God, a life without his love. We were bound for hell. But God loved us way too much to leave it at that. In his generosity, God took the initiative. In his generosity, God took action to come and to save us from a lost eternity, to restore us into that wonderful, intimate relationship again with him. And in our salvation, we see the generosity of all three persons of the Trinity again. I work together as by their grace. They seek us, save us, and sustain us. We see the generosity of the Father in giving His Son for God so loved the world, it tells us in John 3, 16, perhaps the best known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave. See, that's what He does. He's a generous God. He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave His Son to save us. Now, I'm not a father. I don't have a son. So I can't even imagine, I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like to give a son. But I read a story recently, and it's about a man called John Griffith. And John Griffith lived in Mississippi, where he worked uh, as a bridge operator for a railway company. The railway bridge was over a river, and whenever a ship came along, John opened the bridge to let the ship go through. And when the train was coming, John closed the bridge to let the train over the river. One day in 1937, John's eight-year-old son, Greg, was spending the day with him at work. A ship approached, so John opened the bridge to let it, let it through. After a moment, he realized that his son wasn't playing by the office where he'd left him. And as he looked around to his horror, he saw his son playing in the gears, climbing around in the gears of the bridge. John set off to go and rescue the son, but just at that moment, he heard the sound of an approaching train, the Memphis Express. 400 passengers on board was hurtling towards the river, and the bridge needed to be closed. The bridge needed to be lowered to let the train passed safely. John yelled at his son to get off the gears, but the noise of the, the oncoming train made it impossible for the boy to hear him. And John Griffith realized his horrible dilemma. If he took the time to rescue his son, the train would crash into the river, killing everyone on board. But if he closed the bridge, the boy would be crushed in the gears. But in order to save the 400 passengers on board, the train... John made the heart-wrenching decision to pull the lever to close the bridge and sacrifice his son. 
This story portrays the love of a human father who sacrificed his son to save the many people on the train that day. It's a human-sized reflection of the amazing sacrifice made by God the Father when He sent His Son, when He gave His Son to die for us, to save us from our journey to destruction. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. If we remember only one verse from today, please let this be it. And please let's take some action on it by believing in Him if we haven't yet. So in salvation, we see the generosity of God the Father. We see the generosity of the Son. The whole universe, as we read, was formed and ordered by Him. And it all holds together in Him. He was enthroned in the highest heaven, surrounded by angels in glory. Jesus was immeasurably rich, yet He gave His all in order to rescue us. Let's follow His journey of sacrifice for a moment. In Philippians 2, it tells us, though He was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, He gave up His divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. At his birth, Jesus became lower than the angels. His birth was not into a royal palace of privilege, but into poverty and into an animal trough. You see, the one who had spent from in the beginning, surrounded by the glory of the angels, comes to be born in a stable, surrounded by well, all the smells of a stable. The one who had ruled from all eternity on the throne of heaven comes to die a criminal's death on the cruel cross of Calvary. This generous giving of the Son is taken to the most extreme in His passion and His death. Arrested, falsely convicted, on trumped-up charges, beaten, spat upon, mocked, and nailed to a cross. And on that cross, the excruciating physical agony, the most painful death known to man. But there was also the spiritual agony, the spiritual separation from the Father with whom there had been eternal unity as all the sins of the world came between the Father and the Son. As Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. This is the generosity of the Son. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, for you, for me. And we let our Advent candle this morning, our first one. And one of the reasons that we often light candles in, in churches is to remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. You see, a candle gives light to others as it itself burns away, as it is sacrificed. And a burning candle reminds us of Jesus 
giving light and life to us as He gives Himself as a sacrifice for us, coming, dying, giving Him very self for us. This is the size of the generosity of the Son. So in salvation, we see the generosity of the Father, and we see the generosity of the Son, and we see the generosity of the Holy Spirit. In John 3, Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. In the Nicene Creed that we confess, we say that the, the Holy Spirit is the Lord and the giver of life. Job 33, he tells us, the Spirit of God has made me the breath of the Almighty, gives me life. The Holy Spirit generously gives life to us. Every breath we take, every move we make is a love gift from the Spirit. Our first birth is a gift from God the Father. Our second birth is a gift from God the Spirit. The Spirit generously gives birth to us, and then the Spirit generously gives gifts to us giving us different talents and abilities with which to serve Christ and, and the church and to live out that fullness of life that He gives us. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of, of service, but the same Lord, so to each one of the, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The Spirit is given to each one, to each and every one of us. We have gifts of the Spirit, from the Spirit. He gives all kinds of gifts to all members of the church so that those gifts can be used to build one another up. The gifts of the Spirit are gifts that are given in order to be given, if you like. And these gifts are given that God might use us to bless one another, to witness to the world, and to draw many unto Himself, for that is the last picture of, have, of, the, of generosity that we look at this morning the picture of heaven itself. In Revelation 7, God pulls back the curtain and He gives St. John a little glimpse into heaven, into the future. And there we see the ultimate expression of God's great extravagant generosity. For John says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Now according to the United Nations, on earth today, and this is their figure from their site at half eight this morning, okay? There are 8 billion, 45 million, 311,447 people. That's a lot of people, but it's a countable number. You can count it. But heaven, a great multitude that no one could count. And they were wearing white robes. And they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that's where we're headed because of the generosity of our God. And it's the place where God's generosity is most fully on display in the presence of all the glory and grace of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and of the countless multitude of the redeemed. 
So just as I finish, we've taken a bit of a, bit of a whistle stop tour through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, but I hope we've seen today as we've done that. We've, reminded, we've been reminded today that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is an extravagantly generous God. That generosity is indeed the very heart of our God. He is extravagantly generous in creation and extravagantly generous in salvation. And we are his people. We've been looking at who I am, our identity. And we've seen that we are his people. We are his children. We are his witnesses. And he has generously given us a pattern of generosity to follow. Generosity is a key value for us here as a church family at Orangefield. One of the priorities coming out of our new vision for Orangefield is compassionate giving, supporting and blessing individuals and communities at home and around the world through radical service and generosity. Because having established that God is an extravagantly generous God, in the days ahead we will want to live lives that reflect His generosity into the world that allow His generosity to flow to us and through us out into the world to bring thanks and glory to Him. So in the weeks ahead as we journey through this Christmas season together, we will look at how we can better respond to God's generosity, living lives of love because He has first loved us, living lives of generosity because He has first been extravagantly generous to us. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let us pray. Just take a moment in the silence and before God in His presence to, to ponder, to respond, to reflect on something particular that He's been saying to you today. Through thinking on His generosity in creation, thinking on His generosity in salvation, and how He might want us to respond to that. Let's take a moment in the silence in doing that. Father God, we thank You for Your amazing generosity. We thank You for how You show Your heart of love, of grace, of goodness, of generosity in creation. the Father creating, the Spirit giving life, the Son through whom all things were made. We look around at your creation and we see your generosity bursting forth everywhere when we have eyes to see. We thank you for your amazing generosity and salvation. The Father giving the Son, the Son giving his life, the Spirit giving us new life, eternal life. We thank you. So, Father, help us to be thankful. Help us to be generous in our response. Help us to be generous with our giving of our time, of our talents, and of our treasures. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Give us your heart of worship for you of service for others so that throughout this Christmas time 
we might point them to you. And they might say, with us, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards those on whom his favor rests. Thank you, Father, and we pray these things in the power of your Spirit and in the name of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.